about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Good evening, everyone. Today's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. Um, That was uh, on the handouts that you got as you came in, and it's also in the Pew Bibles. Luke 14, 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everyone. We're going to now think about that very difficult passage that we've just had read to us. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's leading in that matter. Father, we do pray that you'll speak to us as we look at your word tonight and consider what it truly does mean to be a disciple of yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are some things in life that are all or nothing uh, that require total commitment. So, for an example bungee jumping. Now, I've been tempted to go bungee jumping. I thought the idea of free falling seemed enticing to me. Um, But then I thought, let's get real. Once upon a time, it took me half an hour just to get up the nerve to jump off a five metre swimming platform. So it's never going to happen. But imagine standing on the platform with the ropes around your ankle. If you jump, it's all or nothing. You can't say to the instructor, I'll just go halfway, please. Now, three times in the passage, Jesus says that following him is all or nothing. As Jesus heads towards Jerusalem for the last time, he is still a popular figure. Verse 25 tells us large crowds are traveling with Jesus. They want to follow him. Surely this is a good thing. Maybe people are pushing their sick up towards him, hoping. Maybe they're hanging off every word. What will Jesus say next? They want to follow Jesus. But do they have any idea 
what following Jesus really means. But instead of encouraging the crowds, Jesus turns to them and he warns them in the harshest language possible that if they want to follow him, it will cost them everything. In three all-or-nothing statements, he tells them that it will require sacrifice and suffering. Let's have a look at these three statements. They're very alarming and uh, I'll read them through to you and then we'll have a, a look at each of them. Verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Then the next verse, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then in verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. If you want to keep following me, count the cost. I don't think Jesus is deliberately trying to turn people away, but he is being honest. Just remember where Jesus is going. He's on the road to Jerusalem, where he will be betrayed, arrested, flogged, and nailed to a cross. Do you really want to follow me? He's warning them, if you want to follow me, it will be costly. To be, to be my disciple will mean sacrifice and suffering. It will cost you everything. Now, I wonder after these words, how many people kept following Jesus? But friends, these words are not just for those people that day. Notice, he says, if anyone wants to come to me. These words are timeless. They are spoken to us as well. That's what it looks like for anyone to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what it looks like for you to be a disciple of Jesus. Following Jesus will require sacrifice and suffering and it will cost us everything. So let's have a look at each of these three verses and then we'll consider the two parables, the little parables in the middle. The first one, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, does not hate father and mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Well, does Jesus really want us to hate our families? Of course not. Jesus can't mean that literally. To hate our mother and our father would contradict the rest of Scripture, and in particular the fifth commandment, where we're told that we have to honour our parents. God created families, and, and we are to love our families. To not love our families and claim to be a Christian would be a contradiction. And in the, in the same way, I'm sure in the next verse, Jesus was not suggesting that everyone who followed him would end up literally carrying a cross to their own crucifixion. Exaggeration, hyperbole, was a common tool in Jewish debate at the time of Jesus. And Jesus is using that technique to make a point but even if we don't take the words of Jesus literally, the message of Jesus is still clear and unambiguous. Jesus must come first above family. Now imagine those people crowding around Jesus, they want to follow Jesus. Uh, what would be the most likely stumbling block to them truly following Jesus? Probably family or the obligations and expectations of family. That is why in verse 26, Jesus picks this first. 
families. You know, in every culture around the world, loyalty to family comes first. Families are often the great reason that people hold back from turning to Christ or doing significant things for Christ. That's true everywhere, and it's true here. We all have families. Decisions like where we live, what, we, what work we do, what we study, what we do with our money, may often be driven, first and foremost, by what will be the greatest benefit to me and also my family and fulfil obligations to family. It seems for, for almost all people, family comes first, and only then everything else finds its place in their lives. But where is Jesus in those decisions? As disciples, our first loyalty should be to him. Now let's pause and remember that for many people in other parts of the world, the choice is Christ or family. I just want you to know that for them, this is not hypothetical. A couple of examples. Nepal is a Hindu country. All the, family important, all, all the important family occasions, births, anniversaries, marriages, funerals, are all wrapped up in Hindu worship. You can't participate in the family without being Hindu. And the new Christian is forced to withdraw at great cost and often, in so doing, cause great offence. I remember when we were living in Indonesia, I was able to share the gospel with a Muslim uh, woman who was working in a mine site in Borneo. When she came to Christ, she was unable to return to her family in Java for fear of what they might do to her. The choice was literally Christ or family. Now, for us in Australia, the, the choice is rarely ever that stark. The pressure to place family above Jesus is far more subtle. It's often in smaller everyday decisions around kids' sport, if for those that might have children or education, holidays, money, housing, work, church. In all these decisions, what is our motivation? Are we serving Jesus? Are we seeking first his kingdom? This is a call to love Jesus with all your heart and all your time and all your resources and all your energy and allow every other priority and passion in life flow from that love for Jesus. It is not a call to love your family less or fail in your duty to them. It is a call, though, to love Jesus first. Now, here are three principles that I think are helpful. If we love Jesus above our family, we will love our family more, not less. Of course, Jesus wants us to love our families. If we love Jesus first, if we are committed to following him first, then Jesus will show us how to be a better parent, a better son, a better daughter, a better husband or wife, a better friend, a better sibling. You want to love your parents, you want to love your siblings, you want to love your friends, love Jesus first. The second 
If we love Jesus above our family, we will model true discipleship to our family. The greatest legacy you can leave others in your family will not be measured in terms of money or in terms of time, but the example you leave of a life lived out in faith in Christ, where your family can see that you love Jesus above them. We raised three children in Indonesia. And I checked, I checked through all of this to make sure... I checked with Alana, who comes to our morning service here, just to check that my memory was the same as her memory of growing up as a child in Indonesia. The schooling was pretty ordinary. The city was filthy. There weren't any nice parks or playgrounds. The kids were always the centre of attention, getting pinched and poked. There were dangers all around us. The medical facilities were dubious at best. After-school activities were almost non-existent. There weren't many friends. They were separated from grandparents and cousins. And I am sure that people thought we were robbing them, depriving them in some way by taking them there for the sake of mission. But the things they missed out on didn't really matter in the end. I don't think they even cared. The things they learnt and experienced, I believe, made them among the luckiest kids in the world. Now, the same principle is true no matter what your family looks like, whether it's with your parents or your siblings or, your, or other extended family, nephews, nieces, cousins. The best thing you can offer all of them is to model what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus by putting Jesus first. Thirdly, and very simply, if we love Jesus above our family, we will model true discipleship to other Christians. Your example can be a real encouragement to other Christians, particularly here at church. If you can model what it looks like to follow Jesus, you can be an enormous encouragement to others here. Now finally, if that's not enough, Jesus says in this verse that if we are a disciple of Jesus, we must hate even our own lives. Now again, we accept that Jesus is using hyperbole here. This is not about self-hate. But we are called to love Jesus even more than ourselves. Self-centeredness, such a, an ingrown part of all our lives. Looking after number one is what comes natural to us. It is at the core of our sinful natures. People naturally live for themselves and place themselves at the centre. What is best for me? may also be what is best for my family. What will make me happy? What Jesus is saying here is so revolutionary. Love Jesus more than yourself. But such is the revolution that takes place in a person's life when they follow Christ. From a preoccupation with self to a denial of self. Jesus first. How are you going living a life of intentional self-denial for the purpose of bringing glory to Christ. Now, we've thought about the first all-or-nothing statement in this passage. So let's just go to the, uh, more briefly to the other two, to carrying our cross. Verse 27. Second statement, Jesus says, is whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So this statement picks up on the suffering that the true follower of Jesus must be prepared to accept. What does it mean to carry your cross? The words have become so familiar to us 
we've almost rent them out of their original context. The crowds following Jesus knew the horror of the cross. They didn't wear crosses around their necks as decorations. They had seen people crucified. Feel the weight of this sentence. It is extraordinary that Jesus would use this symbol to indicate the cost that a follower must be prepared to make. You want to follow me? Will you follow me all the way to your death? That's what Jesus is saying here. He knows a cross awaits him in Jerusalem. Are you prepared to die with me? The cost of following Christ will vary from person to person and from context to context. In some parts of the world, the cost of following Christ may be death. In every cost, in every context, there's a cost of, of some sort in identifying yourself with Jesus. Now, to be a nominal Christian, you know, to even go to church each Sunday is not too difficult. If we are Christians who compromise our morality, who are silent about the truth, if we're Christians who take our cue for how we should live from the world, then we won't have much of a, of a cross to carry. But such people are not really his disciples. But to be a disciple of Christ each day, in our workplace, in our social groups, even in our families, can be costly. We live in an ungodly world. We stand against the very things the world desires. Immorality, corruption, materialism, pride, revenge. We hold to a truth that the world at best disregards or at, and at times despises. We talk about a God that holds all people accountable. Our words and lifestyles don't fit easily within our world and we will find ourselves bearing a cost to remain true to Jesus. Jesus says we must be prepared for that, to carry our cross. The final all or nothing statement is the one in verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. This feels like a summary verse that comes at the end. Again, it's all or nothing. I mean, what else is there but everything? What is left? The, the true follower of Jesus must give up everything to Jesus, everything we have, everything we are. To give up here, I think, means to accept Christ's authority over everything. As disciples of Jesus, we own nothing. Everything we own belongs to Jesus. The concept of personal property has no place in the life of the believer because it all belongs to him. It is to say, Jesus, I'm yours. You are my Lord. I am, I am utterly and totally committed to you. There is no turning back for me. I'm open. I am ready. I am willing to do whatever, to go wherever, to give whatever, to say whatever, to change in whatever way you ask. Don't put boundaries on your commitment. Don't say, I'll only go this far. I have a friend who loved his water sports and he declared once that he would never live further than 50 kilometres from the coast. And then, years later, I heard 
that he was doing mission in the deserts of Pakistan. I thought, oh, God's got a great sense of humor. Don't put boundaries. Have you got boundaries on what you would be willing to do for God? Or are you willing to do anything in obedience to him? Because the disciple is asked to give up everything. Now, after Jesus' words here, again, I wonder, I wonder how many in the crowd continue to follow Jesus. I suspect many of them turned away right there. They never intended to take this whole Jesus thing too seriously and never wanted to become fanatical about it. People haven't changed. Do you sometimes hear people say that? And look, it may be from a friend or a parent to a child or a child to a parent even. You know, a little bit of religion is okay, but don't go overboard. Don't get too fanatical. But friends, is it possible to take God too seriously? I, I, I mean, really, do you imagine that on the final day, God will lay a charge against any of us? Oh, you took me too seriously. I can't imagine God saying that. It's not... That's not our problem. It's not taking God seriously enough and giving him everything. So often our commitment to Christ is compromised. It's easy for us to think that we can have Christ and the world. We try to leave room for other pleasures. We make idols of the world around us, be it family, careers or pleasure. Jesus can get squeezed out to the margins. Sadly, Christ can become an afterthought rather than the driving force. If we were in the crowd, what would Jesus say to us? What would Jesus say to you? And remember this. Jesus gave up everything for us. Jesus asks nothing more of us than what he willingly gave of himself. But friends, also remember what God gives us. Remember the parable we looked at last week that spoke of the, of the great banquet, the heavenly banquet that belongs to all who follow him? Amazing. So let me ask you, what do we really lose when we have an inheritance stored up for us greater than we can even describe? So I want to just share a few verses with you from Mark chapter 10. Look at the beginning of these verses, because Peter, Peter spoke up. He was aware that they'd left everything. See what he says there? Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Yeah, he's, a, he's a great disciple at that point anyway. But listen to what Jesus said next. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. What a promise. Fantastic. Now there is a message here for all of us today. For the person who has not yet made a commitment, the lesson is to count the cost. That's the purpose of the two little stories in the middle of these verses. Of the builder who couldn't finish his building. Or the general that goes into a war that he cannot win. 
If you want to follow Jesus, count the cost. Know that it will cost you everything. But know also that it's about sharing in the banquet. This is life at its fullest. There's also a message here for those who have already chosen to follow Jesus. Maybe there was a day when you said to Jesus, I give you my all. But since then you've slipped back and Jesus no longer has that first place. Surely that is the constant daily struggle for all of us. This passage is an encouragement to recommit our all to him. Sometimes we do meet people who make costly choices to follow Jesus and their commitment should be inspiring to us. Now, without wanting to embarrass anyone that might be sitting in the church today, actually, I preached on this passage at the commissioning service for Mike and Joe Charles, along with Sam and Emma and Caleb and Lola back in 2010, and I don't expect you guys to remember that I did that, but I did. And as you were heading off to Chile for another three years, I said back then, when, when they got on the plane, that was it. They were making an all-or-nothing decision. Unless, of course, they wanted to parachute out across the Pacific Ocean. In 24 hours, they would land in the heat and smog and traffic of Santiago, which would be their home for yet another three years. Their commitment should be an inspiration to us. Same as the Azalis working in slums in, in, in Bangkok, or Rebecca uh, teaching in a Muslim country. People like that are rare. Even then, I think any missionary living in a tough place would still find being fully committed to Jesus hard and are faced with the same temptation to compromise. Actually, what Jesus expects of his disciples is really beyond any of us. Who can truly live this way? Can anyone give up everything for Christ? Even the disciples abandoned Jesus when he was arrested. Even Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. The truth is, we all fail. And I'm painfully aware of my failures. But with Christ, there is always forgiveness. There is always grace. There was forgiveness for the disciples. There was for Peter a fresh start. And there is for us too. We will mess up and fail him, but there is always forgiveness. Praise God. Don't be like the salt that Jesus mentions in the last verse. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile it's thrown out. If we follow for a while and give up, we become like salt that has no flavour is of no value and is fit just to be thrown out. We all know people who have stopped following Jesus. Surely none of us want to be that person. Jesus wants lifelong disciples who commit to following him with all that we have, all that we are, and all the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, these verses, very difficult verses to read, but very clear. That as disciples, you are first in our lives. Oh, Father, we pray.
that we might commit ourselves to you today. Repent of the times we've failed and come back to you and recommit our lives so that we might put you first in everything and bring honour to your glory and name. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.